Well, this morning we're going to be talking about the subject of church membership. So these subjects that I'll cover each week are really subjects that could be given weeks and weeks of attention to. But the purpose during this Perspective New Members class is really to give you a very brief overview of some of them. Um, then following up on that, if you have more questions, feel free to let me know and we can talk in more detail. But at Grace Fellowship Church, we practice what is commonly called church membership. Now, what does church membership mean? Is church membership, when I use that phraseology, is it biblical? And if so, where is it in the Bible? The, the concept, the idea, the belief in church membership has come under attack in uh, recent years, especially. There are those churches that do not have an identifiable church membership. They don't believe in a quote-unquote church membership. Uh, basically, it's whoever shows up on Sunday. That's the, the so-called event that takes place. Um, beyond that, there are all kinds of people that show up and they're just attending on the Lord's Day without any responsibilities to the body of Christ that they assemble with. Um, some people object to the idea of church membership because if you were to do a search for those, that phrase in, in your whatever software or, or resource you use, you won't find that phrase in the Bible, church membership. But neither will you find the word trinity. Neither will you find the word inerrancy. But those words are used, they're words that we use to describe not just one verse or a few verses, but a whole host of things the Bible teaches that we put under the umbrella of a, per, a particular topic or subject. So while there's not one verse, that, or there's no verses that use the word trinity, per se, or inerrancy, we know the Bible teaches that there is a triune God. And we know the Bible teaches that it is, the scripture is inerrant, without error, it cannot err, and does not err. Um, so don't get hung up on the word itself. Instead, let's talk about what we mean by church membership from the scriptures. So let me explain what is meant by church membership. It's imperative that believers understand the biblical basis of church membership, the importance of it, and the necessity of it. And in order to do so, we really need to start with understanding the nature of the church. We need a biblical understanding of the nature of the church. Now, who knows what is the common Greek word that is translated church in the Bible? Okay, Cornelius Fellowship, Ecclesia, Ecclesia. Um, etymology, ek, out of, klesia, comes from kaleo, which means to call, the verb for to call. And so you'll hear people commonly say it means we are the called out ones. And indeed that is true, that we are called out of darkness into light, the scripture says. We are those who are the called of God. We've been effectually called to him, drawn to him, made alive in Christ, and granted the gifts of faith and repentance. So we are the called out ones. And we are called out of darkness and into salvation and reconciled to God by grace through faith in Christ in order that we would form the one body of believers. But the word ecclesia, while that is the etymology of the word in a sense and, and breaking down its parts, the word itself means generally an assembly. So an ecclesia is an assembly. And there are places actually in the Bible, in the book of Acts, where uh, there is said to be an ecclesia, an assembly, but it's not a church. In fact, there's one occasion in which there was a group meeting in Acts 19.32, and it's called an ecclesia, but it's not a technical reference to the church. It actually was a mob. <laughs> it was an assembly of people to... And the, the city was in confusion, and there's this mob of people that then persecutes the church. So the word had a secular usage just to refer to an assembly of people for various purposes. But then God has chosen in his word to use that word ecclesia to refer to 
a group of people who are called out of darkness into light, who assemble, who gather together for specific purposes as God has designed as the people of God. And so it became the word that was used for the assembly of believers, the ecclesia. It is the church. And we'll talk about this invisible, universal, but then gathered together in local assemblies, in particular on the Lord's Day, for various biblical purposes. So the first thing we need to understand is the nature of this church, the the ecclesia in the scriptures. And there are two aspects to the church. Uh, You could call it two aspects. We, We talk about, on the one hand, the universal church, and on the other hand, the local church. Two aspects and ways that the word ecclesia is used. Uh, sometimes we refer to it as the invisible church, and I'll explain that in a minute. But then on the other hand, the visible church. So it's important to understand those two aspects. So first consider the universal church, or what sometimes is called the invisible church. And in the Bible, we find that aspect in verses like this, Matthew 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Or Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And you'll notice that in those two verses, it refers to the church singular. And in this sense, we speak of there is one church. There is one body, Ephesians 4, verse 4. So when the Bible uses ecclesia in that way, I will build my church, or Christ loved the church, it's not referring to local assemblies gathered together, but it's referring to the one church of Jesus Christ, made up of all those who are truly redeemed. For there is one body. Ephesians 4, verse 4. So these scripture references are uh, referring to the one true church made up of all believers in all places. Uh, The universal church, as it's called, is made up of those who are actually redeemed. Not just those who profess faith in Him, but who are actually redeemed. There are some in the visible church who identify with the church, who profess faith in Christ, who actually are deceived or deceivers. And they're actually not redeemed and a part of the universal church because they're not redeemed by the grace of God. They just make a profession, but they don't really know him. Now, sometimes it's called the invisible church because it's the church as only God sees and knows And he knows all those who belong to him. We don't. We don't know all believers and quote-unquote see all believers, the universal church. But as 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 says, the Lord knows those who are his. Now there are some who would say, well, I'm a part of the universal church. By virtue of being a Christian, I place my faith in Christ and I'm a part of the universal church. That's all that matters. And these individual assemblies called local churches are a corruption of the true church. And there are those who are a part of the visible church or assemblies or gatherings that aren't really believers. So therefore it's corrupt by by virtue of that as well. So I'm just a part of the universal church. And that's all that matters. I don't need to identify with, as we'll speak of in a minute in church membership, an individual local congregation or assembly of believers. Now, the problem with that is that it ignores other usages of the the word ecclesia and the, the vast majority of usages or a large number of usages of the word ecclesia. Uh, The problem, again, is it ignores what the teaching of Scripture says regarding the church in its local visible expression. 
Um, the universal church is to assemble, gather together for the purpose of worship, instruction, fellowship, and mutual ministry. And so while we understand that there's those references to the universal church, all those who are truly redeemed, there are many places in Scripture that refer to the ecclesia as the church in a particular place or gathered and assembled together for particular biblical purposes. So, for example, there are churches that met in homes. So, Romans 16, verse 5, greet the church, the ecclesia, that is in their house. So, Paul says, greet this church. Now, obviously, that's not the universal church, because how can any univer- the universal church meet in anyone's home? So, that has to be a reference to the church in some other way, other than the universal church. Sometimes there's references just to other churches, In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8, Paul refers to other churches, meaning other churches other than the one in Corinth. There are references to churches in a region, Galatians 1, verse 22, churches in Judea, which was a region. Um, There are non-specified individual assemblies. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, Paul makes a reference to every church. So they're non-specified assemblies of of people. And then all the churches, plural, is used in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. So when you read, of course, through the New Testament, you find that, in particular, the Apostle Paul was writing to specific assemblies in specific locations. So he'll write the church to the church in Thessalonica, or the church in Philippi. So those are clearly not references to the universal church because now it's referring to local assemblies gathered together. Now you'll notice that when that form of ecclesia is used, it's often in the plural. Not, I will build my church, singular, but now here we have churches, plural, in particular locations. This is the church now gathered and assembled, identified as believers with a common confession of the gospel and and sound doctrine and for particular purposes when they gather together. Now we know that the visible church, and we call it the visible church by the way because This is the church as it is gathered and assembled that can be seen, like I'm looking at you today. And others see you come. They may not pay much attention, but we have neighbors around us, and they see, oh, there's a a gathering of people. That's the visible church. We're not just, oh, we're just a universal church here and there. No. Well, now it's gathering, visibly, seen. And we call it the local church, again, because this isn't something we do uh, by you know, internet or whatever. We're, we're assembling together locally, visibly coming together. And when we gather together in this manner, we understand that the reality is that not everyone who identifies with the local church is necessarily truly redeemed. So we have many places in Scripture where there are warnings. Uh, Acts 20, for example, where Paul tells the Ephesian church, That when he leaves, there are going to be savage wolves that will come in, even among them, that will seek to lead away the sheep. And he tells those elders, you guard this flock over whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And you're responsible for this assembly of people. Not for the church as it is in Thessalonica or in other places, but here among you. And they have responsibilities to you, and you guard and protect this local assembly. So it's impossible to keep the visible church 100% pure, you might say. There will be those who creep in, those who profess to know him but but don't really know him. Um, So I just mentioned that because we'll talk about through this process, but even today, that there's a process that we set in place so that we might guard the flock. 
And I mentioned some of that earlier before we began this subject of the process of church membership here, where we sit down personally with you face-to-face as elders and ask you, what is the gospel? How did you come to know and believe those things? And so it's important to understand the word ecclesia, the nature of the church. There is the universal church, but we find in Scripture is that then the universal church is called to assemble and gather together in local assemblies. And that's the visible church. That's what we're doing here today. This forms really the foundation for understanding then church membership. We're not just a part of the universal church. There's actually no hint in Scripture that would say a believer who's truly placed their faith in Christ would then not choose to be a part of a local assembly with all of what that means, which I'll describe briefly here in a moment. So then the question becomes, well, what constitutes a local church, a true local church? And that can be answered in a lot of ways. We could get to the bare necessities. We could say, well, what does that look like in a a, a a frontier missionary kind of situation where there haven't been elders yet, you know, just believers, there haven't been elders yet uh, raised up. Uh, but, But taking the exceptions out of the way, what constitutes a true local church? Well, there are a number of things. First of all, there must be believers. There is no true local church apart from there being believers assembled together. True believers who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be then also them gathered with a common confession of here is the gospel. Here is how God saves sinners and has saved us. And so the truth must be believed and proclaimed. So there must be truth. There must be, along with that, the proclamation of the word, the teaching of the word, Uh, not just for evangelistic purposes, but for discipleship purposes, for then for those assembled believers to help them grow to maturity. Preach the word, Paul told Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. There must be the ordinances. We gather and assemble together to then see in a visible way certain truths of the gospel. In baptism, that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. That we have been identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And baptism being the first ordinance is really, we'll talk about briefly here in a moment, is entrance into, so to speak, the visible church and membership in the visible church. There's the regular observance of the Lord's table as we then continue to remember the gospel together as we assemble as the body of believers, the one body of Christ. So there must be ordinances. There must be worship, true worship, in accordance with what God requires and regulates in His Word. There must be ministry, mutual edification, using our spiritual gifts to build one another up, Uh, mutual accountability, We're accountable to one another. We must encourage one another, strengthen one another. When we stray, we're held accountable by that local assembly. There must be biblical leadership, elders and deacons. We'll talk about that. And there must be church discipline. And that's another subject, if that's unfamiliar to you, that we'll talk about. These are some of the things that really for for there to be a true church. And you say, well, can't there be a true church without biblical leadership. Yes, on the frontier missionary uh, setting, there's a church now assembled, but not a mature church, not a church as described in the New Testament, not where things are set in order. So the goal in planting a church is that they would have these necessities, biblical necessities, for it to be now a, uh, a, a church that proclaims the gospel that's growing as disciples. So you should ask questions like this. Are there true believers here? Anytime you, you visit a church, here's the kind of things you ought to ask. Are there true believers there? Is the gospel being taught? Is it believed? Is the word of God preached? 
Is God loved and honored and cherished and His holy character proclaimed? Does doctrine matter? Again, this is the, the truth must be present. Is the gospel lived? Are the ordinances practiced biblically? Are church leaders marked by godliness and integrity? Is there ministry taking place there? And if someone strays from the truth, is the church willing to confront that person's sin and bring them back? And if they don't repent, to remove them as members of that body, lest you end up with a church membership full of unbelievers or those who profess him, but by their deeds they deny him. These are questions to ask. What constitutes a true local church? Now, understanding that the Bible has so much teaching on the the church gathered, assembled, the visible church, then we really need to understand, then what do we mean when we gather together? What are we to do, so to speak? And what is this thing we're talking about, church membership? Well, first let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Church membership is not just walking to the front of the church. You've maybe seen this practice in other churches you've been a part of. You walk in front of the church on a particular Sunday. You say, I want to join Grace Fellowship Church. You fill out a card so we get information on you. We turn you around and say, oh, so-and-so wants to be a member of this church. All those in favor say amen. If anyone is against this, then say, you know, raise your hand or say something. And, of course, nobody ever does. Um, okay, we receive you as members, and we don't know anything about them. They've just come. You don't know them. The elders haven't talked to them about what they believe regarding the gospel. They may not really know much about the church that they are seeking to join. Some have called this meaningless membership. Uh, I think Nine Marks Ministries, if you're familiar with that, does a, a good job in understanding and teaching on what church membership biblically is. It's not an endorsement that we believe everything that Nine Marks Ministry teaches. We're, there's a lot of things uh, that we'd be in agreement with. When I mention a ministry, I just want you to know that it's not a, for any, in any case, uh, saying, oh, we're in 100% full agreement. But they do an excellent job of describing this. And Mark Dever has talked about and written about what is meaningless membership and why it's dangerous. He says, meaningless membership refers to the common practice of neglecting to tie church membership to specific responsibilities, expectations, privileges, and sanctions. In other words, someone joins, but they they don't understand what are the biblical responsibilities we have. We're not really committing to any biblical responsibilities. Uh, We're just now members. And he says that it's dangerous because, first of all, meaningless membership, as he defines it there, as not being tied to any specific responsibilities, expectations, privileges, or sanctions, it sends a confusing witness to the surrounding community. We don't tie it with specific biblical obligations. They're not accountable to that body. They're not accountable to the elders of that church, the shepherds of souls. And and it also causes division because it often brings into the membership unconverted members. We haven't talked to them specifically about the gospel. And a mere verbal profession is enough. They say, I'm a Christian. Okay, come on in. They just name the name of Christ. And you can see how easy it would be for, for unconverted and even dangerous people to sneak in and creep in unnoticed and do much harm. We've had that happen, by the way, where people attempt to come to Grace Fellowship Church. They don't ever get through the membership process, but they come with the intention of leading people astray. And we've had to tell people, we've got to know them as shepherds and guardians of your souls to say this is not a place where you're welcome. And it's for the protection of your souls. Now, we also reach out to them to seek to talk to them if the the occasion uh, allows. 
to talk to them about what they believe in case they're just a deceived person and needs to be informed as to what the gospel is and certain things regarding the truth. But we also have in our mind not just that person's soul, but your souls. And so we, we guard the flock in that way. But if you just carelessly receive people into the church or you have no formal church membership, how easy it would be for those who are deceived or those who are deceivers to come in. And so how do we define church membership? Well, let me give you kind of a, a definition and then break it down a little bit. Church membership is a formal identifiable association with a particular local church, so we're talking about the local church, for worship, fellowship, mutual edification, and accountability to the glory of God. So let me just say that again. Church membership, and again, we're talking about a definition, I'll define some of these things in a minute, is a formal, identifiable association with a particular local church. For certain purposes, worship, fellowship, mutual edification, ministry, accountability to one another, to the glory of God. For the propagation of the gospel, I mean, we can talk about there's so many purposes, but I'm just summarizing some of them. But let me define some of the words. Church membership is a formal identifiable association. Now, what I mean by formal, I don't mean formality. So don't, don't hear formality, where it's just a formality. You just go through this and you're a member. By formal, the word formal sometimes means an established, prescribed manner or way in which we receive members. So again, part of our responsibility is to guard the flock, the unity of the church, the, the, the spiritual well-being of the church. So we have uh, sought wisdom to say, how should we receive members in the day and age we live in? And so we have a prescribed way that I described to you earlier before we started talking about the the subject of church membership so that people then go through that process that is for the good of their souls so they can make an informed decision, know who we are, and we know who they are before we ever get to that point of receiving them as identifiable members of the local church. So it is a formal, an established, prescribed way of receiving members that we believe is wise and in keeping with what God has called us to do as elders and shepherds of souls and what would be for the good of the church. So it is a formal, identifiable association. So identifiable means there's a recognized membership. Those who have been acknowledged, they are They're identifiable. They said, I want to be members with all the biblical responsibilities of this local assembly. And they can be identified. We know who you are. So that if there's an opportunity for ministry within this church, then it's only open to those identifiable members of Grace Fellowship Church. So let me just tell you practically, by the way, We're going to go past 945. It's just not possible to to not do so. So just uh, want to get that out of your mind maybe if you're thinking, oh, he's supposed to finish in five minutes. It's not going to happen. Um, Got to talk about all these things in one setting. So here's one of the things. Sometimes we we don't connect the dots of why we have this formal identifiable church membership now, if you're a parent here and you have children that are three and under and you use the nursery, who keeps your children in the nursery? Is it just somebody who happens to be a member of the Universal Church who walks in that day and we say, hey, you want to serve? You're, you're a member of the Universal Church. We have an opening in the nursery today. Would you like to go in and serve? You would say that would be absurd and very dangerous, and you'd be right. But what if they're truly believers? Well, we'd say, uh, but they haven't identified with this local church. We don't know them. They're not accountable to the shepherds of souls here. Or if they came in and said, hey, I want to teach Sunday school today, children's Sunday school. And I'm a believer, even if it's a church we know of, so-and-so church here in the area, and we know that church, and so I'm a member of that church. You'd say, of course you shouldn't let them teach children's Sunday school. 
they're not an identifiable member of this local congregation. And you can understand why that would be important. To identify with a local church so that when there's ministry in this church, it's only open to those who have gone through that formal process so we know their profession, what they believe. They're accountable to us as elders and to you as believers and, um, and you to them. So ministry is only open to those who are identified. They're recognized as members of a particular local congregation. Now, we have had those. One time, there was a lady who showed up. She parked under the portico. She had Texas tags on. And she came in and wanted to talk to Sean and me. She sought out who are the leaders, said, I have a word from God today. I want to speak to your church. Now, of course, we said, you're not speaking here, which is rather um, persistent. So we had to be rather persistent and say, ma'am, you are not speaking here today. If you want to come and sit and listen to the word, you're welcome to do that. And, of course, she was all flustered and, and drove off. Now, those are extreme examples, but understand that the wisdom and really the biblical principle that they knew who the members of the congregation was. I'll show you this in the scripture in a minute more particularly. So it's an identifiable, a formal identifiable association, a relationship, a voluntary, I'm a part of this body and I'm associating with them to a particular local church. Again, think about someone who says, well, this week I'm going to this local church and this week another local church and this week another one. Now, what if we as elders did that? Do you laugh, right? Because you know, you know the absurdity of that. But sometimes we have a double standard. We say, oh, well, the, the, the pastors, there are things they shouldn't do, and we know biblically that just wouldn't be the right thing to do, but we have a little different standard. No, we, I'll show you in a moment in which we should know who our elders are, and the elders need to know who the members of that congregation are, that they're going to give an account to God for how they shepherd their souls. Um, so, it is a formal, identifiable association with a particular local church for worship, again, mutual edification, fellowship, ministry, proclamation of the gospel, propagation of the gospel, but very important, accountability to one another and all to the glory of God. Accountability. What is accountability? People shy away from that. I used to know a man who really had an issue with that. He said, I'm accountable to God. And I used to try to convince him, but the Bible says that God says you should be accountable to other believers. So no, accountability to God is enough. And so, so all accountability is, is helping one another keep the biblical commitments we have before God. We're just trying to help one another in that. We need one another. We need to identify with other believers in the local assembly to be held accountable and be used by God of them and all to the glory of God in his church. This is how the church is built up. This is how the universal church is built up. It's built up by assembling together, identifying with a particular congregation. But a lot of people think, well, again, I don't need that. Yes, you do. I do. I preached a few weeks ago and talking about the spirit-filled men, Ephesians 5.18, and I emphasize this for your benefit, how it feeds my soul when we come together in a spirit-filled church, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We need that. And it's not just done, oh, this Lord's Day. Let's just take, for example, a conference. G3 happened this week. Some of you went to G3. Or you go to Ligonier Conference. Or you go to this conference or that conference. It's good. It feeds your soul. It's para-church. Para means alongside of. It's not the church. It's the universal church gathering together for particular purposes. But it's not the local church. It can feed your soul. But you need the regular, week by week fellowship of that particular body, those shepherds of your souls, not those who just preach the gospel, but who live together with you in fellowship. So that then when you have a marriage issue that you need specific counseling and discipleship with, so-and-so at G3 is not the person to do it. And 
the believers that are there, not the ones you call to get counseling from the believer you met from Wisconsin or California. No, it's those who live with you in the local assembly. We're accountable to one another. So where do we get this idea? Let me just show you some passages that would teach this formal, identifiable association with a particular local church. First of all, Matthew 18. Let me just turn you to some passages quickly. The biblical teaching on church discipline, and again, that's a subject we'll cover in this uh, new members class, but the biblical teaching on church discipline necessitates this thing we're calling church membership. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. It says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Again, Matthew 18, verse 15. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact will be confirmed. Now, we'll, we'll talk about this passage in particular in the heading of church discipline. But notice verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to whom? The church, the ecclesia. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So, church here, what is, what is this a reference to? The universal church or the local church assembled together, visibly gathered, with certain biblical responsibilities to one another and accountability? This is obviously a reference to the local church. Jesus, who has just said, I will build my church in Matthew 16. One church, singular, now is speaking of churches gathered and assembled together visibly. And when there's a strain professing believer and he won't listen to those who have gone to him, you tell it to the church. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean tell it to the universal church. That's not even possible. So it's obviously a church assembled and gathered together. And later he'll talk about when two or three are gathered in my name. And he's not talking about just two believers getting together. He's talking about the local church and the authority of that local church under the headship of Christ and its leaders. As they then act in a way with the authority of God himself in that local assembly. But tell it to the church. So... That necessitates an identifiable church membership. Who's the church? Who has identified with this particular local church? So when we have had through the years situations like this, who do we say we're having a meeting with? Not just a person who happens to walk in the door on that particular Sunday. Think about how potentially harmful that would be. They may or may not even be believers. We don't want to tell it to them. It's not their concern. They're not identifiable members with this local assembly. So verses like this require on church discipline. Again, this is a subject for another time, the the subject of church discipline. But it requires an identifiable church membership. Who's a part of this local assembly? To whom that we tell this to and then have responsibilities to go to this erring brother or sister. So the biblical teaching on church discipline necessitates an identifiable church membership. And that's part of the responsibility we have to one another, to go after a strained brother or sister. Let me turn you to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. The biblical teaching on church leadership, shepherding the flock, and submission to church leadership necessitates an identifiable church membership in a local assembly of believers. 1 Peter 5, the Apostle Peter writes, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Here's what his exhortation is. Shepherd the flock of God. Key phrase. What does it say? Among you. I think it's probably that way in all your translations. I hope so. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Who's allotted to the charge of of these shepherds? The universal church? 
And then it says, but proving to be examples. I can't be an example to someone I don't know in California. Let's just say. See, this necessitates a local church. As shepherds, as pastors, we're to shepherd the flock of God among us. Not the universal church. I was not set apart to shepherd the universal church. (laughs) It's difficult enough for local shepherds to shepherd their own congregation, let alone the local church. And just imagine this. You're only accountable to your local shepherds. For it says in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy, it says, and not with grief, which would be unprofitable for you. So who are your leaders? How do you know who your elders are? See, there's an identifiable, in the local assembly, an identifiable church membership. Here's the flock as it is here at Grace Fellowship Church. And here are the elders at Grace Fellowship Church that you're accountable to. So that when someone walks through the doors of Grace Fellowship Church, I am not their their shepherd. And I have a different responsibility to those in the universal church. For example, let's just use G3, which has happened recently. I I wouldn't go to G3, and now I'm, I'm a pastor at Grace Fellowship Church, so I meet someone and I pretend as though I'm their pastor. No, I'm not. Now, as a fellow believer, I might encourage them, strengthen them. The universal church can minister to one another. But they are not accountable to me as a shepherd of their soul, and they are not, among the, they're not the flock of God among you, as it's defined here. So this necessitates being able to identify who's the flock of God among you and for you to identify who are the shepherds of my soul in that local congregation. So the biblical teaching on church leadership Our responsibility to shepherd the flock, what flock, in our local assembly, and who you're accountable to as shepherds of your souls, requires an identifiable church membership, where we have covenanted together certain biblical responsibilities. Ephesians chapter 4, let me turn you to another passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. The biblical teaching on mutual accountability and and ministry in the body requires that we identify with specific local churches. Ephesians 4, 11. He gave some, Christ gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Okay, we're talking about the universal church here. God gives this to his church. But then it quickly goes to how does that play out, so to speak, to really understanding naturally that this takes place in the church assembled and identified in local assemblies. Because God gives those offices, those, those men to the church, but for what purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So there's, there's a universal aspect here but also a local aspect. That yes, the whole universal church is being built up, but practically, where does this happen? It can happen at a conference. It can happen in, you know, as we just rub shoulders with other believers in various contexts. But the equipping of the saints for the work of service, this mutual ministry in the church, where what is then described is the body being built up, takes place in local assemblies. We're now, here are those that we meet together with, that we're responsible for building up this local church to spiritual maturity. And as those local churches are built up to spiritual maturity, then yes, the church universal grows as well. But this mutual ministry in the body necessitates an identifiable church membership. Who who are we responsible to build up in this sense? And how is this really lived out? This is lived out in the local congregation. You can bear the burden of a believer you know outside of Grace Fellowship Church, but this is commonly, this mutual ministry, this using of spiritual gifts is really fleshed out, so to speak, in the local assembly. So these are just some of the the other teachings of Scripture, church leadership, 
Uh, who are you accountable to as shepherds of your souls? Who are we to shepherd? Church discipline, when there's an issue, a matter that has to be dealt with as a body of believers, that's the, the, the local church. To whom do we tell it? To whom do, are we responsible to? The mutual ministry. All these things, this is what I mean, all these, these teachings are then fleshed out in the local assembly. And there must be, in order for that to be fleshed out, an identifiable association with a particular church so that we together live in fellowship. So, so therefore, and this is where I am going to run out of a little bit of time, but therefore that's why we, we don't just gather and assemble as people with no responsibilities. When we covenant together, when we receive new members, we have a public service. You know who's joining even along the process, we communicate with you. And they come and they covenant together certain responsibilities to maintain, this is shorthand, to maintain a walk with Christ that honors him. A personal, intimate walk with Christ. Living out the gospel. We commit to respond biblically to the God-appointed leadership in this local church for your spiritual benefit. Sometimes, and then even for, for discipline, if it so requires. We commit to read and study the scriptures for our own uh, spiritual growth, but also to pray for one another, for the leaders of the church, for the ministries, to attend the stated meetings of the church on the Lord's Day for our spiritual growth, to support the church through biblical giving, to accept roles within the family, we commit to certain things, to love one another, accept one another, pray for one another, serve one another, admonish one another when necessary, be an example to those in the body. We, we know what our biblical responsibilities are and we commit to those things together. So it's not a meaningless membership. Now again, I'm, I've run out of time, but, but this is necessary for really understanding. That one of the problems, let me put it in that way, with churches today, and even within our own congregation that we need to grow in, is understanding that God and His glory is dependent upon local churches fulfilling these responsibilities. The kingdom of God on earth and us propagating the gospel, being a light in a dark world, salt and light, requires that we understand this, what we're defining as church membership and the responsibilities we have. And as we live together in that way, we communicate and proclaim to the world that Christ is head of His church and we assemble together and live together in fellowship. And how much damage is done by people who who don't fulfill these biblical responsibilities in the local church and others outside the church see it and wonder, what? That's not a church. They, they even have more wisdom sometimes than we do regarding the nature of the church without understanding it biblically. What I mean by that is they say something's not right with that. They call themselves Christians. And look, that person just left his wife. And they just still go to that church. They don't understand church discipline. They just know that there's a lack of integrity and there's hypocrisy there. But when we practice the one another's, and part of that is going to one another, admonishing one another, seeking after a strained brother, and in certain cases then removing them if that's what's necessary, their profession's not matching up with their life. Then the church, the world sees, oh, they're not identifiable members of Grace Fellowship Church anymore. Our testimony to the world is dependent upon understanding this. The spiritual health, so to speak, of this church is dependent upon us understanding these things. So I'm just scratching the surface, so to speak. It's like the doctrines of grace. When you begin to understand it, you begin to see it on every page practically. And I would submit to you, the more you understand this teaching, of what we call church membership, but defining that biblically, you begin to see it throughout the pages of Scripture. And you begin to see, oh, this is how I'm to live in fellowship. I'm not just an attender. 
I just don't walk through the doors. I'm just not here as a consumer. I'm here because I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved me by His grace and He's placed me into that one spiritual universal church. But now I choose in obedience to Christ to be a part of the local church where I can build it up. And when we understand that and then the responsibilities we have to one another, then we'll treat the church of Jesus Christ in its local form with care. We'll treat it in a way as if, to use, to use the analogy that I'm going to preach on this morning, as if, again, the body, what the scripture uses, the body analogy, that we are one with this body. And how I treat this body is how I'm treating Christ's church. This is lived out in the local church. And so let's pray that we would grow in our understanding of these things. For those of you who are going through this Perspective New Members class, we want to bring to bear upon you the weightiness of these things and the responsibilities we have. And as we go through the subjects and we go through the process, I think you'll begin to see more and more how this is for the benefit of our souls, but ultimately to the glory of Christ who has saved believers, that they might be a part of the visible church. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in these things that you would help us to grow in our understanding. Lord, for it's in understanding not just the universal church, but also the visible church, gathered, assembled together with what you have called us to be and do together, that we see the glory of Christ and we see this church that is his body. And we see how, Lord, visibly and identified together, we, we live and proclaim the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would not have just attendance mentality. Lord, just attending is not what you've called us to do. But Lord, to live in fellowship with all the biblical responsibilities we have one to another. Lord, build up, we pray your church universal, but build up local churches where the gospel is lived out and Christ is exalted as we live together. Lord, do so in our local assembly, we pray for your glory and for your namesake. Amen.